But if you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 16 this morning. We're going to spend some time in a text there. But just an observation from the years of being in ministry. There are, I've concluded that there are three topics that people don't like hearing when they come to church on a Sunday morning. The first one, we actually covered it a couple of weeks ago. It's the issue of time and the stewardship of time. Uh, a change here in that time is actually more valuable for many people than money right now. And I, I think that's a, a switch. But one of the things I don't think we can get away from in this area is that time intersects with our spiritual world. And we have our time, maybe to say it like this, it reveals what we worship, or it has the capacity to reveal what we worship. But there are two more topics. Uh, The second topic is sex. (laughs) I said that word up front, didn't I? Um, It's a topic that a lot of times churches ignore, I'm going to go there at some point, um, but but it's a, a recognition that, you know, people, parents, I've actually, in some series in other churches where I've been at, parents, you got to warn me when you're going to hit that topic so I can leave my kids at home or something like that. But there is a third topic as well, and it makes many people uncomfortable. It's a topic of money. It's a topic of money. Matter of fact, I, I venture to say this. If you're a regular at a church and you go, I'm going to invite my friends to church and you know the topic is about money, you probably don't want to invite them to church that Sunday. See, that's how uncomfortable this issue really, uh, how it goes for us. But I I think part of the challenge is, uh, does the church always talk about money? From my experience, the answer is no. Um, Just the years of being in ministry, it's, it's just not covered that often, and I think the church gets a bad rap, frankly, because of the TV evangelists that are out there soliciting money as well. But I think there's an uncomfortableness in really dealing with it and dealing with money, and maybe one of the reasons is for some people, they know they just struggle handling money. And, and, and there's a level of guilt with that in terms of understanding that, but, but I think there's another deeper issue in that we inherently know deep within us that money is connected to our hearts. We just have to admit that. But let me jump into a text this morning, Luke chapter 16. Look how it reads. He also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do? Since my master's taking my management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know, I've decided what to do. So that when I'm not removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. And then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. And the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. 
For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Bible records 39 parables, and 11 of those deal directly with money and finances. That's over 25%. A lot. Matter of fact, you may not know this, but there are about 500 verses that deal with prayer in the Bible. Prayer. And over 2,000 on money. Matter of fact, Jesus talks more about money than he does heaven and hell combined. Now, you go, why? Why does Jesus, is he consumed with money? And the answer is no. We know that. See, God doesn't need our money. He has everything that he needs. Matter of fact, he's given us to be stewards. So why does Jesus spend so much time in it? Why is it written about in the scriptures? And we have to conclude it's for our benefit. It's for our sake. But let me state a reason maybe to summarize it for your notes there to begin with. Why talk about money? Many people have an unhealthy relationship with money. See, when Jesus talks about it, we have to assume there's a benefit to our lives. One person said God wants us to become unstuck from our money. I read a quote by Martin Luther here this week. He said, we need three conversions, the head, the heart, and the pocketbook. I think he's right. But see, this parable here, as we dig into it, uh, it's known as the parable of the dishonest steward. And in many ways, it's a pretty unusual parable. It's taken out of the business world. And it's the story of a man who was a manager out in the world for a group, for somebody who owned lots of money, had lots of possessions. So, and he was entrusted to deal with the finances of that master. Now, if we were to take this and make it into a movie, the plot line actually would be pretty easy. You notice there that he was actually a rich manager, okay? But he was investing somebody else's money. And you'll notice the phrase, wasting possessions. So I think we could assume in the, in the plot line, it would be shady speculations, padded expense accounts, lavish entertainment of somebody else's money. Maybe a second set of books was the reality of it. But all of a sudden, there's a day of reckoning for this man. The owner comes along and says this, hand over the books. We're going to do an audit. And shakingly, he just, he hands them over. And he knows what's coming. 
And the result of that audit, clean out your desk, you are done. His future, this man's future, was changed forever. Let me keep going here. Look at verse 3 and 4. And the manager said to himself, the response then to that, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg and I've decided what to do so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So a, a sudden loss and all of a sudden his future is uncertain. Uh, It implies almost that in the story, at least, he's not living in his own house. He's going to be thrown out on the street. And you'll notice there that, you know, I think in today's terms, I got a bad back, so I can't do manual labor. I think he was too proud. And he was too proud to to beg for money. Now, if the pause and go, this guy had lots of pride because he was not too proud to actually steal. Just think of his ability to steal from this guy. So the news, he's fired, and he heads out to the clients. He's got this idea, this scheme, and he says this, I know. if, if, If I can reach them before they hear about what's taken place, that I can manipulate some things. And so what he does is he goes to these people and he marks down their bill what was owed to his his boss. And he's doing it so basically later on he could pull in a marker or get win favor with these guys so he could actually have a house to sleep in, a room, a bedroom to stay in. But here's the interesting thing is as he shares that, as, as Jesus states that, There's something here that Jesus is telling us in the story is that he's pointing at that manager and says, this guy's got some wisdom, some smarts. Look at verse 8. For the sons of this world, referring even to this manager here, are more shrewd in their dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Now, again, He's teaching his disciples here. That's the primary audience and audience and for us today. But Jesus is saying this, that this example of this manager has something to offer us. See, he was shrewd, he was clever. And in many ways, he's saying that as disciples, sons of light, Christians, believers... We are, sometimes we're kind of naive in the way we approach life or we just don't get it some, in some ways. So, you know, what's Jesus then? What's he saying? What's really happening here? And understand this, this is primarily about the issue of finances and the way this manager approached his attitude toward using those particular finances. Now, understand, there was another group. If you don't think it's really about money, uh, I want to put up on the screen, actually, verse 14 and 15. I left them off, but look at how it reads here. So there's another group of people listening to this story, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. 
And he said to them, Jesus is talking here, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among, among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Lovers of money, they laughed at Jesus. Why? Because Jesus was saying that there is a direct correlation between earthly wealth and spiritual wealth. There's a connection between the two. Now, this is a bit of a tricky text. Again, it's open to some misinterpretation. So you've got to really follow along and, and think a little bit about what's going on here. But let me put up again verse 9, because here's where it gets a little bit tricky of going, I tell you, make friends for yourselves. Now he's addressing the disciples. By means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Hmm. Sons of light again. Disciples, who is he speaking? That's who he's speaking to. But what did this manager do? How did he think where there's some wisdom in it for us? Now, again, the wisdom is not in being disobedient and dishonest. Okay, that's not the point. That would be an easy interpretation, but no. But it's to imitate this manager's wisdom. And what was the wisdom here? Think of it this way. When this manager was living the good life, when he became rich as a result of working under this, his boss here, functionally, he had built his world on a couple of foundation pieces, or maybe to say up two pillars. And on one pillar was the issue of his bank account, his financial world. It created a sense of security for him. And on the other hand was his work. It provided the lifestyle that he wanted to live. But as you ponder that and you ask, then what happened here? See, the day of reckoning came and realized that those two foundations began to crumble. Those pillars began to crumble. This manager couldn't control everything in the world. Let me give you a reality of the story just to kind of help us here. Number one for your notes, if you're following along in the bulletin outline, I said it this way. There is a no certainty of a certain life. There's no certainty where there's going to be a certainty in this world. See, the manager thought there was a certainty And events came along that were beyond his control with his money and his possessions. And just like this manager for us, there is always the potential for events to occur that we cannot control. You know, life throws us a curveball. And all of a sudden, it leaves us shaking. And we can't control it. And money can't change it. See, the truth is, is that there's a point within this story that his money is, and his security in that money, it was ripped away. 
And that will be true for us as well, that there will be a day that we are going to lose that kind of security. See, there's coming a day when money will actually be irrelevant. When you look toward eternity, farther out there than we can see, There is not a certainty in terms of our finances, our bank accounts, our our retirement plans. The day that we stand in front of God, our money, our possessions, all of that will be irrelevant. That man discovered it. No wealth, no money, no titles, no influence. We will stand bare before our creator. We won't leave anything behind. It doesn't really matter. You know, the only thing really certain in our life is you can't take it with you. Now, people try, you know, they bury it in their caskets. They put lots of stuff, you know, and trying to figure it out. It's not going to happen. See, the money manager, as he lost everything, he began to scramble. And he realized that something was more important. And Jesus is trying to tell his disciples that he figured this out, that something was more valuable than money. And what was it? Understand, what he did is he took the the financial piece there, his management stuff and all the resources, and he began to say, you know what, if I can just figure out how to influence people. Why? He needed a place to lay his head. He all of a sudden realized that people were very important when he ran out of money. He manipulated his finances, the financial in that in his work before they could you know get word uh, let me apply it to our lives so number 2 i i put it this way biblical wisdom tells us to use money to build an eternal spiritual legacy of relationships see he's not saying be dishonest like this guy saying figure out that things will not last But while you're using wealth, you're using money, use that for relationships. And as children of light, we are to have an intentionality of using our resources to influence people. Influence people. See, that man used the financial world to build relationships canceled the debts. Now, his motive was selfish. We recognize that. He was coming to the end of himself. But while the motive was wrong for him, he's telling disciples, take note of that. See, money is actually a tool to influence people for the kingdom. And understand, we can't bring the green stuff with us when we enter eternity. And it will never really keep us secure from unforeseen events. But recognize this. Can we use money to influence people where there will be a kingdom focus? And the answer is yes. And that's what he's trying to tell his disciples. 
the opportunity to influence relationships and people for the other side of eternity. So he's saying, disciples, be wise like this man. Use your resources to make friends that will last into eternity. They'll last. Because you're not going to be able to take it with you. So use it for something constructively. You know, I, I think that we think, though, that our, our bank accounts and our possessions, they become our foundation in life. You know, and the manager discovered it wasn't working for him. You know, it was his boss's money, but all of a sudden he, lo- okay, I got to manipulate my world to get that security. See, but you catch where Jesus is pointing his disciples. Influence people in his spiritual direction. Now, I got to point out a phrase there that we can get tripped up over. It's that phrase, unrighteous wealth, in verse 9. You go, what does that mean? Does that mean that money is wicked? And the answer is no. See, Scripture never says that money is the root of all evil. Now, that's how people tend to quote it, and it's actually a wrong quote. It's the love of money which is the root of all evil, uh, 1 Timothy 6. But the love of money is just an expression where the love of money says it's about serving the self. It's about me. But wealth and money is neither, understand this, it's neither righteous nor is it unrighteous. It's not wicked. It's neither moral. Money's not moral. Wealth is not moral. Nor is it immoral. It's amoral, amoral. It's neutral. See, and I think one of the challenges here is that Jesus comes along and says this, it's either how we use it is one or the other. Either we worship God with our money or we worship ourselves with our money. And what we want to do is we want to create a neutral category and understand Jesus strips that away. And it's why he makes that statement, you can't worship God and... Love money and love God. Those two can't exist, coexist together. So he's calling us to be generous with our wealth, to influence people for the kingdom of God, for a future eternal impact, for a legacy, a future legacy of people's lives. Is that our pattern? Let me ask a hard question then. Application question, have we connected our wealth to a spiritual and relational legacy? See, this is about using money for an eternal good, for the future. Remember the Sermon on the Mount, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven? See, that's at the core of what it is. Now, even when you think of, you know, part of the reason why we do in this series is because of our building campaign, but even when you think of regular giving to any church, see, God is inviting us to have an attitude where with the reason that we give is not out of duty, that it's investing into people's lives for eternity. 
Matter of fact, I, I even think we got to approach that way when you think of time, that commodity of time. Are, are we connecting time with an eternal reward in the sense of people? Leaving a legacy that knowing that people need Jesus. And that it ultimately leads to people's hearts and lives changing. It's a gospel-centered focus. See, money is supposed to be connected to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, now here's the, the reality. Some of you may have sponsored a child. And there's needs all over the place. But here's the connection that we need to remember. Is that we want those children not just to be fed. We want those children connected to Jesus. That has to be at the foundation of why we even give. That's an eternal perspective. Because just giving money for the sake of giving money so that we feel good, that is not an eternal perspective that we've checked out a box that says, I've helped somebody. See, God is wanting us to connect the things, our lives that we do to an eternal perspective. Now, I don't know if you realize this, though, that people who don't know Jesus as their Savior, they give generously to, to, to benevolent things all over the world. And I don't know if you know your theology, what theology in the Bible says about this, but those people who give, and it looks like a great gift, then it is in the earthly sense, but when they give good things, and the only thing they get back is they go, I really feel good about giving that gift. That the prophet Jeremiah says this, that deed is as a filthy rag. It doesn't count. That's what the Bible tells us. See, we want to, as we give, as we serve, as we do those things, is there an eternal perspective of why we're doing what we're doing? I, I even think of supporting missionaries. If you give a missionary, it's not just to help them. It's for that missionary to connect to other people. Why? So that they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's an eternal perspective that everything we do, do we see the future of what Christ wants us to see? And it's about the kingdom of God and the people and those that need a love relationship with Jesus. Now, Jesus is telling us then, the purpose of money, and you understand this, it's whether you have a lot or whether you have just a little bit. It is to be a tool for the kingdom of God. See, God knows something. And I think it's this, and be careful because he doesn't really want us to give out of guilt. See, that really isn't the issue out of duty. He wants us to respond, even financially, out of a worshipful heart, recognizing his love, his goodness, his generosity even to us with whatever he provides for us. So he's, Jesus, understand, is not trying to manipulate his disciples to give their fair share. That's not it at all. 
He's wanting to have a different motive to give, that there is an eternal motive, disciples, that you can give. And he reminds them, you can't serve God and you can't serve money. So give to the eternal perspective. I, I think it's this. He's inviting us to a new vision, a new heart. But he even goes farther. Look at verse 10 here. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. Now here's a very hard truth embedded into this text. And I... I'm stating it here in the notes. This is actually a quote from a guy. Look at what it says. One who seldom gives number three there for your notes or gives sporadically is equally spasmodic, I like that word, in spiritual matters. Have a spasm. See, see this, this verse, this 10, Actually, it's the negative that's implied here. If one is disobedient in the little things, it's a sign that one is being faithless in the greater things. See, one reveals the other. It's a mirror. This text actually is a mirror for us. It reveals our hearts, and it might reveal some hard things to our lives. Now, understand this, the context of this. And this story is that the, those little things that were little things, they are in the realm of the material things, including money. It's money, wealth, and you could even say the use of our time. While the greater things is not the, the stuff, the greater things are the spiritual realities of life. So he's saying that there's a connection between the stuff and the spiritual realities. And if a man does not give as he should as a Christian, then it's true that he does not live as he should as a follower of Christ. It's hard stuff. Our money, our possessions, is connected to where we're at in our hearts. So Jesus is simply saying that faithfulness in our giving is a realistic thermometer of our spiritual lives. But but here's the deal. One can, for example, tithe and be committed to a tithe and still have a cold spiritual life. See, the application of Jesus for wealthy people, understand this, the 10% may not even be close to generous. I didn't say this in the first service, but... I don't know if you realize the whole issue of a tithe. When you go back and look at the Old Testament of that, I'm not advocating that's necessarily even the right to, I'm not pressing you on the tithe, but it was actually 23 and a third percent. It's 10% for the, for the country, 10% for the temple, and every third year they had a 10% tax, basically, that they used for party, for parties, the nation of Israel. I don't know if you knew that. But see, just because we give 10% doesn't mean that we're rich in our giving. It actually might mean that we're actually stingy and still be stingy. But see, do we connect our money, our wealth with the kingdom focus? See, that's what he's wanting to drill down into the disciples and recognize this, that what we tend to do is we like to create boxes in our lives So we have our our wealth box 
our money box. And, and then we have over here our spiritual box. And what we don't want to do is bring them together and merge them together. So we come to church. And we talk about our spiritual box and we have conversations about our spiritual world. But to bring the money world into the spiritual world, that's what makes us uncomfortable. And Jesus says, can't, can't break them apart. Can't break them apart. Remember that old Negro spiritual song, Dry Bones? The foot bones connected to the ankle bone. I should get somebody up here and sing it for me right now. Frank, you want to come up and sing? <laughs> the ankle bone's connected to the leg bone. The leg bone's connected to the knee bone. The knee bone's connected to the thigh bone. The thigh bone's connected to the hip bone and on and on and on. There's a con- all connected together. But in the spiritual world, that's true as well because the money bone is connected to the faith bone. The faith bone is connected to the spiritual maturity bone. Spiritual maturity bone is connected to, do I love Jesus bone? See, every area of our lives are connected together. But, but let me go to one last path here this morning. And I need to end with a question. And last week I started, we keep forgetting the why of it. But look at the question on the screen. The big question, why is the life box that contains our money, assets, and possessions so important to our lives? And, and we, we make this one over here very, very, it's very, very important for us. But why is it, in one sense, then we come and we hear about this and it makes us uncomfortable to talk about it? We get nervous when people go down this alley. Well, I I think there's another side issue that's deeply connected here to why we want this box kind of left alone and we don't want to jump into the spiritual world with it. And the answer for that is this. We have concluded that we are ultimately responsible for our own security and self-worth. We keep this box over here because ultimately we're not sure that God is going to come through for us in this area. Matter of fact, I want to put a scripture on the screen. This was Thursday morning's prayer guide. I hope you're following along and in your prayer time just to read that and to pray that prayer for us. Hebrews 11, faith chapter. Look at Abraham about Abraham, verse 8. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and to go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. Do you catch the faith thing here? And he thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than his own to own the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking ahead to his great reward. What's that saying? Abraham was looking, he followed, he walked by faith. Why? Because he's looking towards something that was far more important. I, I think of Moses as well. Leaving Egypt and having to walk by faith, not knowing the outcome. See, the question is, do we trust God? Is walking by faith really an option for our lives, even when it comes to finances? See, but walking by faith, there's an uneasiness with us. 
And there's a level of doubt going, God, will you come through for me when I kind of fill in the blank? Are you, are you trustworthy? Or do I have to control my own destiny? So I'm going to decide everything. I'm going to be in control. Our lives are integrated. And even the area of security, you understand how that fits in with us as well. But even that area of self-worth there, we buy into a lie, folks, that this box of wealth, our finances, our stuff, ultimately, they give meaning in my life and purpose in my life. And I'm going, that's not what the scriptures teach at all. The scriptures teach that meaning and purpose is not found in stuff or having enough stuff. It is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can't buy biblical purpose. And we can't keep believing the lie that our stuff and our possessions are so meaningful for us. See, I I think Jesus is telling his disciples where real meaning is found and it's walking by faith, guys. It's leaving a legacy for people who into eternity, they're gonna one day welcome you into eternity and saying, thank you for being a part of my life and helping me know and meet Jesus. See, is our security and our self-worth found in this box of financial stuff or is it walking by faith with Jesus every day and trusting him day by day? Not knowing what tomorrow will bring because that manager discovered he had everything planned out and it didn't work. You know, we have a campaign, Making Space for Change, And yeah, we're going to be inviting you to give and give generously, but understand this, money is just a tool. And even the building that we're looking to build is a tool. But what's the tool for? Change lives, people, the kingdom. I don't know if you realize it, but Wednesday night really is our our uh, breaking point where the only room that we have open on Wednesday nights is my office. That's the only one where there's a group not meeting. But the building, we have to admit, is a valuable tool and tools that need to be used. Every time God gives us a tool, we use it for his purposes, for his glory, for those people that need Jesus. See, but ultimately then it comes back to us of going, what's our vision in this world? Do we see people? See, when we look around, when you go to work tomorrow morning, what do you see? Do you notice the people or do you get stuck in your work of doing your job? Do you look at the person next to you and go, I wonder if they know Jesus and I need to begin to pray and maybe that God's gonna require me or invite me to use my finances to take them to lunch, to actually build a relationship with them that I might someday be able to introduce them to Jesus to use even our debit card to buy somebody lunch for a purpose, eternal purpose. See, God is wanting our hearts in this. That verse on the wall is so right on the money. He he wants us to be God-willed rather than self-willed. I'm gonna ask the elders to come on up. They're gonna serve communion. See, we we come to communion today. 
recognizing that it's because of Jesus that he's challenging us to live a new life and live it differently in this world. Guys, I'm going to ask you to hand out the bread. I do remind you that we uh, hold the bread and we'll take that together. But as we're coming to communion here, would you just stop and ponder and go, where is my meaning and purpose found in my life? Is it the box of finances? Is it the possessions that I have? Is that what's consuming me? Or is it people that need the kingdom of God? Do we recognize that? I don't know if I said this, but this morning, even on the way to church, there was a, um, a statement made about where are the missionaries going to come from? In the United States, with so many, with the millennials and the younger ones really kind of walking away from Christ, the question was asked, where, where are going to be new missionaries? Where are they going to be raised up from? Who's going to fill in after these older missionaries go home? I turned to Deanna and I said this, probably other countries, probably not United States. And I think that's already happening. See, do we have a kingdom mindset that we want this community, we want our hearts and this, the hearts of the people in this community to start and walk toward Jesus in a way that their lives would be changed for eternity and they would be ushering more people to meet Jesus and to know him, to love him, to serve him. This is why we gather. It's because of, I'm going to take one of these. Because God sent his son for us to die for us. In that upper room, he said, as you do this to remember me, so we want to remember him together this morning. Let's take it together.